Amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat and grab a copy of God's Word and turn with me to Hebrews 13. We have much to do today and I'm excited to do it. So let's open the Word of God and get after it today. We are in our series called God of Blank where we have been filling in the blank every week with different uh, attributes of God and character traits uh, and just talking about who He is because it's important to know who God is and how we as the people of God ought to relate to our God. And we are going to conclude this series next Sunday uh, with our Resurrection Day message, and I'm already looking forward to that. But today, here on Palm Sunday, we are going to go to an interesting text to talk about the God of courage. Now, as we'll read our text in a moment, you will recognize that the phrase God of courage is absent from this text. We're not going to see that. Instead, what we're going to find is the Lord inviting us to be a people courageous enough to live for him in the midst of a godless culture. We've said a few times in recent weeks that we uh, have a culture that is greatly lacking in courage and boldness. In the false name of being nice or loving, we often find ourselves cowering to the culture around us. We choose not to speak the truth. In fact, many times we choose not to live the truth if that makes us look too weird to the world around us. We kind of go through life just trying not to rock the boat, uh, not to look too different in our world. Yet when you read the Bible, what you're going to find is a consistent and clear call to live in a way that stands out to the world. I'm reminded of Jesus talking about salt and light. Do you remember he said, hey, nobody lights a candle and covers it. Like that, just the purpose would be gone. Uh, if salt loses its saltiness, it's no good anymore. All we can do is toss it out into the streets. I don't know about you, but, but it seems to me that the church in our modern culture is often finding itself being trampled in the streets of our culture. And it's easy to blame the culture. Oh, this godless culture has ruined everything. But I just want to tell you today that the world is not to blame for our culture's decline. I believe that it is our fault. I believe that that lies with the church. The church has suffered from apathy, from worldliness, and from empty religion. And the effect is that we have lost our saltiness. We're good for nothing outside of being thrown out into the streets to maybe melt the ice. But the good news of the gospel is that we have a God of courage who today stands ready to renew our boldness and renew our strength. So I'm excited to preach this text. Let's dive in. Hebrews chapter 13, we're actually going to start in verse 7. The word of the Lord says this, Remember your leaders, those who those to... Oh, sorry, guys. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Uh, I'll try to speak the word of God clearly today. Uh, we'll see. Off to a great start. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. 
Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for what you're going to teach us. God, we want to see your truth here. We don't want something that just makes us feel smarter or even be smarter or know more. But God, we want knowledge of your word that leads to knowing you and walking in your truth and walking in your ways. Oh God, give us courage this day through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, I think this is a really interesting passage, and if I'm honest with you today, I would probably preach this text differently if I had a room full of pastors. We, we talked often about how uh, preaching should teach you how to study the Bible, so just some free Bible study tips here. Uh, you'll notice that this text is surrounded by calls to obey and follow the godly leaders that have been put over his church. This passage has a lot to say about what it means to be a godly leader and how, as a pastor, I'm called to boldly and courageously lead Jesus' church. And I think it's worth saying that boldness and courage are lacking in the church in great part because boldness and courage are lacking in the pulpits, cool coffee tables, and platforms of the American church today. But I'm not just talking about a willingness to address hard topics. Certainly, I think that's something that a lot of people are willing to do. And people often will say, hey, thank you for being willing to talk about what no one... Actually, you look around, people are having hard conversations. But what's harder than talking about hard things is having the courage to live a life that looks odd and eccentric to the world. Anybody a fan of that? We as a people have what I would just call this morning different phobia. We don't want to live in a way that makes us stand out too much to our culture. But brothers and sisters, let me remind you, the Bible says that we are to be a peculiar people. A strange people. The Bible says that. Like you ought to be weird to the world around you. Yet it's odd to me that most American Christians today could slip into almost every secular context in our culture and no one would even know that you belong to Jesus. Friends, something is wrong with that picture. So what difference ought to be evident in our lives? I would argue from the context of this passage that the writer of Hebrews is calling us today to courageous consistency courageous consistency he calls them in verse 7 to remember their leaders who preach the word and watch the outcome of their way of life and imitate it now again as a pastor this humbles me and it challenges me to live a life that is imitable like how in the world can i do that like should all of you next week uh, go and buy a fishing shirt so that you can match me on sunday i mean i think that would be a great idea but Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
And the call for godly leaders is to live a life where they can say with confidence, follow me as I follow Jesus. And what is it that defines Christ? Well, according to this text in verse 8, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, this is a picture of consistency. And I would say today that it requires great courage to live consistently in our culture. I think it's easy for us to say we believe the Bible in this setting. But what happens when the Bible clearly calls out the sin of your neighbor, your family member, or your friend? Even worse, what do you do when the Bible calls out your sin? I'll tell you what we've done by and large in our culture. Over the last 30 years, we've just abandoned the idea of the truth of the Scriptures. I was reading this week of a poll that last summer Gallup did. They found that only 20% of people in our country believe that the Bible should be taken as literal truth. That's down from about 40% of our culture in 1980. But that's all of America. That's not exactly surprising. It is a little discouraging, but it's not surprising. This is a very surprising and very troubling statistic. Only 40% of people who self-identified as evangelical Christians believed that the Bible is the actual word of God. Now, about 50% said that the Bible was inspired by God, but it's not his actual word. Isn't that troubling today? And the reality is, for some of you, you're like, no, that's not troubling. I'm part of that number. But I just want to say to you today, friends, if you don't believe the Bible is the actual word of God, you have great reason to ask if you're even a believer at all. And if you are, why? I mean, honestly, if you're just following a set of moral principles and all of that, then, then, then I just got to tell you, this is bad. It's a bad situation. If you've turned the Bible into a like all-you-can-truth buffet where you take some of the good parts and leave the rest and say, well, this part is, is inspired and good, this part not so much, where do you stop? Where do you stop? If you fall in that camp today, I really want you to search your heart. The Bible would say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you don't believe in the truth of God's word, I don't know that you're a Christ follower today. But I'll tell you, this isn't surprising. As our culture has changed, more of what our culture tolerates and accepts has gone against the Scriptures. So rather than being courageously consistent, many have chosen the cowardly route of compromising the truth. And I'll say that again, compromise is cowardly. But this text calls us as the people of God to courageous consistency. First, in the area of consistent truth. Consistent truth. The false teaching that the Hebrews were dealing with was different than ours is today. Uh, obviously, today, the prevalent false teaching, I would say, is simply secularism. But oddly enough, for the readers of this letter, it was really more of a religious false teaching, a legalism, special laws about food and how they worshipped, and it was tied into some Jewish religion mixed with some philosophy of the day. The writer simply says this in verse 9, Do not be led away by strange and diverse teachings. Church, can I just give you some free, uh, unsolicited pastoral counsel? I'm going to anyway, so thank you. In a world of podcasts, YouTube, and endless information online, 
be careful not to be led away by strange and diverse teachings. I've seen it happen to so, so many people. If they don't major on Christ and Him crucified, run. Run. You're in danger of being led away. And I'll tell you that, that goes for a lot of theological ditches that you can get into. If all they talk about is this part of theology or, or they're obsessed with this part of the Bible, not this, listen, if it's Christ and Him crucified, that's the gospel. And if they're not giving you the gospel, run. And I would just tell you, brothers and sisters, the more unique and different someone's teaching is, the more you should be cautious. That's not how our world works, though. You all go buy their books about the 25 blood moons that were out last night. Oh, I've never heard this before. Let's all go buy his book and do the Bible study and get all excited. And yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I'm, uh, it's fine. Uh, email me about that and we'll have a good conversation. I tell people all the time if someone is teaching something new, you should be worried. We have a Bible that for 2,000, and look further than that with the Old Testament has been used to lead in God's guides, people, and truth. Like, people would always say, so, so what are you going to teach on Sunday? Well, what's, what's going to be your spin on that passage? Brothers and sisters, you don't need rusty spin on any passage. What does the text say? What does the Bible say? It's troubling. If we're not careful, we'll be led astray, and it happens sooner than you think. No one's ever unlocked God's word like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. I've never heard it taught like that before. Beware. If something is brand new that hasn't happened in 2,000 years of Christian history, there's a good chance it's heresy. All right, well, some of you got real quiet on me, so it's fine. Just go turn on your YouTube and listen to it later and They'll probably say something about pastors today aren't going to talk about this. Yeah, because we haven't for 2,000 years because we've been trying to teach the Bible. But that's fine. Y'all okay? Let me just get some water real quick and just let you, let you take a breath. It's all right. Come next Sunday, we're going to talk about the 17 blood moons. It's a great Easter message. We as the people of God need to consistently grow in our knowledge of the Word of God so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, here's the goal, friends, by knowing the Word of God, we may know the God of the Word. That's our heart. We don't want to be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Verse 9 says, rather than that, it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Friends, we need a steady diet of the gospel of grace, a steady diet of God's truth revealed to us through his word. And the writer does something super compelling here in the text. This is an allusion to the Old Testament sacrificial system. This was probably a shot across the bow of the false teachers that were attacking the Hebrews. But the whole message of Hebrews is this, that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He was the perfect sacrifice for all mankind. In verse 11, he says that the bodies of animal sacrifice were burned outside the camp. And so Jesus, too, had to suffer outside the gates of the city. Jesus was crucified outside of the city on a hill called Golgotha that was literally outside the gates of the city. And the prophets foretold this. He would be despised and rejected by those he came to save. But his suffering 
outside of the gate was for the purpose of sanctifying the people of God through his very blood. Friends, this is the gospel. You and I were sinners who loved our sin, but we have a great Savior who loved sinners like us enough to be willing to go outside the gates to suffer and pay the price for our sin, to go for a place to a place we could not go to the cross and to pay for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Those who call on him today can be forgiven. This is the gospel. This is the consistent truth that the Bible is going to be pushing us toward. And this gospel transforms us, friends, from cowardly to courageous, from inconsistent to consistent, from death to life. This is what happens. But this consistent truth is going to push us, friends, toward a consistent witness. A consistent witness. Verses 13 and 14 really are where the rubber meet the road today. I think this is where many people realize whether they truly know Jesus or not. Are you really a Christ follower or not? Do you really want to be a disciple of Jesus or are you just a pretender today? Read verses 13 and 14 with me again. It says this, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Listen, are you willing to leave the camp for Christ? Are you willing today to leave the comfort of the crowd? To leave behind the approval and the affirmation of the world in order to suffer like Christ did? I think this is the question that makes or breaks your faith. Whatever the cost, a consistent witness is willing to go outside the camp where Christ is. And yes, that's a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice that's worth making because we live in a city that will not last forever, but we are living for a city that is yet to come, the city of God that is forever and ever and ever. So we joyfully surrender. We joyfully leave this world behind. We are willing to look crazy for the sake of Christ. Now, it's important to think about what this looks like. We're not called to just go out there and be different for the sake of being different. I think that can happen pretty easy. You're like, yeah, amen, pastor, I'm going to go be different. (laughs) Most of us have that checked off already. (laughs) No, there are specific things we do, ways that we conduct ourselves that will make us different than the world around us. We're to be an outside-of-the-camp people. This way of life is described in verse 15 as a sacrifice of praise. If you grew up in church, maybe you heard that phrase. And like I did, said, what in the world does that mean? Because certainly in our American culture, were you sacrificing today by waving your palm branch and being all excited? Like, none of you were fearful to come in here and worship today, by and large. Maybe some of your family dynamics, I don't know. But by and large, growing up in, in this American Christian culture quote-unquote Christian culture we're not scared to come in here and worship what does the sacrifice of praise look like the writers of Hebrews tells us exactly what it means the sacrifice of praise first is proclaiming Christ look at verse 15 through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name 
Acknowledging the name of Christ is a sacrifice of praise. And this acknowledgement assumes proclamation. To acknowledge the name of Christ is a sacrifice of praise. It's to submit your life to him, to his mission and his kingdom. And this is what we are to do as Christ followers. Acknowledging Christ is not just saying that, yes, Jesus is Lord and just believing that personally and inside these four walls. But acknowledgement of the name of Christ is a sacrifice that will cost us. We have to go outside the camp to live like this. See, we live in a culture that's all about you promoting your truth. And you saying, well, this is true for me, so this is just my truth. And the world will even applaud you and platform you and slap you on the back and say, good game, this is awesome. But the world has a problem when you proclaim the truth that runs counter to all of our other truths. But proclaiming Christ and his truth is not optional for believers. This is the sacrifice of praise. We don't only proclaim him in the safety of our building and with our church family and with our family. This proclamation is to be a part of every area of our lives. Let me just ask you, are you living a life that proclaims Christ? Do you spend your time, talent, and treasure to proclaim Christ? Are you raising kids that will proclaim Christ? Are you living outside the camp today? Or have you become satisfied in our safe, middle-class, Christian-American mindset that kind of is living for you with a little bit of Christianity sprinkled in? Friends, Jesus is inviting us today to be courageously consistent, to walk in his truth in such a way that we have to leave the city of this world behind. To go outside the gates to suffer like he has suffered. And we do that by consistently and courageously proclaiming Christ and his truth to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Some of you may be thinking, well, well Pastor, why is this uh, something that's scary? I don't think it's a big deal to proclaim Christ and his truth. It's a message of love. You talked about it last week. Well, well yes, it is, brothers and sisters, but it's that justice part that's hard for our culture to swallow, isn't it? Our world needs Jesus. But part of knowing Jesus means knowing you need Jesus. Can I tell you what the greatest sin in modern culture is? Talking about sin. It is. The, the only sin that our culture recognizes is the sin of talking about sin. We, we don't want to talk about it. But without the truth of sin, without the reality of our spiritual death, we cannot discover the true love and life available in Christ. Brothers and sisters, do not fall for the enemy's lie that tells you that love means ignoring the sins of our culture. You will love people straight to hell, and their blood will be on our hands because we did not love them enough to tell them the truth doesn't sound very loving to me y'all the world thinks the gospel is crazy the gospel has been controversial from the very beginning of time the world's been killing christians since the jump of this thing they started with the savior all the disciples were killed for this message 
Oh, they loved to hear about the story of Jesus and his teaching. They loved it. But what happened to Stephen when he said, you're the ones guilty of this. You're the reason Jesus died on the cross. Do you remember what they did? They picked up rocks. If you proclaim Christ and his gospel, you will be living outside the city. You'll have to go outside the gates. You will suffer. And if you haven't been suffering, maybe you need to ask yourself this morning, have you been proclaiming Christ? I've been asking myself that lately. It's time for us to go outside the camp. But at this point, I know a lot of you are like, yes, yes, this is, this is why, Pastor, I want to live off the grid. I'm going to homestead and homeschool, but just leave the city. But I'm going to make sure that I have a YouTube channel so I can show the city how uncity I am. This is what I'm going to do. It's a very niche joke, but some of you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> We're so different. Let me film my life 24-7 to tell you about it. Actually sounds a lot like the world. But don't get this twisted because here's the beautiful thing about this call to go outside the camp, to go outside the city. Hear this truth, friends. Going to Christ outside the city is the only way to be effective in reaching the city. I'm going to say that again. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down because this is really the heart of this. Going to Christ outside the city is the only way to be effective in reaching the city. Notice verse 16. Right after this call to acknowledge the name of Jesus, the text says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So this sacrifice of praise is acknowledging His name, but also doing good in the world, sharing what we have. So a wild thing happens as we leave the camp. When we leave the city gates behind, when we're done seeking the world's approval and the world's affirmation and support, when we say, you can have all this world, give me Jesus. Do you want to know what happens when we go to him? When Jesus is our passion, his passions become our passions. Do you know what Jesus is passionate about? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. God has a heart for the city. Jesus came to save the city. So when we go outside the city, Jesus actually frees us from the bondage of the world. He delivers us from the need to have the things of the world and to live like the rest of the world. He delivers us of our fear of not having their approval and their love and their affirmation. And when that freedom comes, we can go back in and do good and share our stuff, our lives, and most importantly, our Savior. So the sacrifice of praise is proclaiming Christ and doing good and sharing with others. This is what a consistent life looks like. Oh, but it takes courage to live that way. I think individuals and families and churches tend to, to do really good at one side of this or the other. There are churches who take very seriously this call to live outside the gates. We're going to be different than everybody else. I'm wearing my suit every dadgum week. We're not going to, like, like, these chairs are worldly. Let's get some pews, right? Like, let, let's just find all the things that make us stand apart. We're called to be outside the gate. We're going to be radically different. So we're going to be ye separate. And we're going to use the King James Bible too only. Sorry, just a little past trauma coming out. 
Like we're going to come over here and this is what we're going to do. This is who we're going to be. This is what life is going to be about. But they never go back into the city. And they build this little subculture that, that looks pretty godly from the outside in, but they're missing the very heart of God, which is for the city. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have churches that are so much like the world that they're not actually like the Lord at all. And they have a heart for the city, but they're not proclaiming the gospel because they're not living separately from the city. They're just trying to be like the world. But brothers and sisters, what the Lord is calling us to do, this is not an either or. And this is a big debate in our culture today. And you'll find churches that are super cool and super hip, and I'll just say it, super worldly out there. That's where most people are going to be at Easter. And they're going to check off that religious box and say, this was awesome. And then you have some over here that are going to be real small on Easter Sunday, and they're going to say, that's because no one's willing to come here because we're outside the camp. But church, here we stand as a people who have gone outside the camp, who have left the world behind, and have been changed by Christ so that we can come back in and be in but not of this world. And and let me tell you something. Here's why this requires courage. And this is probably going to happen to some of y'all. It definitely happens to me as a pastor. I look crazy to my seeker-sensitive church friends. What is Rusty that fuddy-duddy doing? What do you mean he's preaching verse by verse through the Bible? That doesn't appeal to people anymore. Oh, what are you, they're reading scripture out loud? Psh, come on. I even heard they're singing the doxology. That is ridiculous. Oh, what, what do you... He's willing to talk about abortion and the murder of children? He's talking about people's sin? Whoa, come on, come on. Brother, you'll never reach people that way. Oh, but friends, Jesus has called us to go outside the camp. We don't need the world's approval anymore. But can I tell you on the other end, (laughs) there are people who are saying, look at that goober with a shirt tail untucked right now. Can can you believe they're even going to have an egg hunt? Gasp. He blasphemed the 17 blood moons? When you live as a courageous, consistent Christian, you are going to walk a line and you're going to have bombs coming at you from everywhere. But you know what Galatians 1.10 says? I have it written on a card here because I have to remember it a little extra hard than some of y'all. Let me see if I can find it. I got so many Bible verses Jesus has to keep me reminded of. I don't have it here, so I lost it. I've got three, and I don't... Oh, here it is. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If we want to be servants of Christ, brothers and sisters, we got to be willing to go outside the camp and look crazy and ridiculous to our world but love the world enough to come back in even though we're saying, they're saying we're crazy and ridiculous and love them like Jesus loves them in and not of in a way that makes people say, I want to know this Savior.
May the God of courage work this in our hearts. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth that you have brought to us. God, we uh, know that this requires courage to live out the truth of your word. So God, would you help us to have that courage that only you can give us. Lord, we thank you for your gospel that stands ready to take a, a not courageous people like us and make us courageous. So Lord, we just ask that you would in your love, mercy, and grace give us a Holy Spirit-enabled boldness so that we as the people of God can live as outside the camp people inside a city that is godless and desperately needs us to acknowledge your name. Oh God, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I pray you'll help us live this.